we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And so I invite you to prepare your hearts, prepare uh, yourselves for entering into a time uh, to come before God and um, bring all of who we are, all of um, our concerns, uh, all of our joys, um, but as well all of our brokenness uh, before the throne this morning. Would you pray with me? How patient is God? We run around trying to do everything our way, and God just waits. We try to buy life and happiness, and God waits. We hurt others and walk away from those in need, and God waits. God waits, and upon hearing our heartfelt prayers and cries for help, God touches us with forgiveness and new life. Join me as we pray to the one who waits to hear from us. Surrounded by so many seductions, patient God, we find it difficult to see you in our lives. Justice has a hard time surviving when there is so much persecution and affliction towards the little ones of the world. Our neighbors, our families, even our churches are filled with strife and contention. We cry for help, listening God. Forgive us. As we wait for your grace to fill our lives, may we open our hearts to your hope and healing, always giving thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Rich, poor, young, old, sinner, saint, we are all God's children. And God transforms each of us into the people we are meant to be. Broken, we are mended. Separated from others, we are made one. Longing to serve, we are sent forth. Thanks be to God, we are forgiven. Amen. Well, we are uh, in our Isaiah series, and this is the, the first chapters that we are really looking at with Isaiah. Uh, I was getting ready for worship and kind of before I had really started digging into um, the passage for the week, I, I thought, oh, this might be, uh, we haven't had uh, one of our children read scripture for a while. And then I read through the passage and I thought, you know, this probably isn't the best week to do that. Um, I thought there might be uh, a few words in there that I might have to explain to my own children and I wasn't quite ready to do that. Um, but it's also a very in-your-face, uh, confrontive uh, set of passages that we read here from Isaiah. Uh, if you were you know, hoping Isaiah would ease in to a message of judgment, that's not the case. Uh, Isaiah is jumping right into it. 
In fact, we're going to have to wait till next week, which is actually chapter 6, to hear Isaiah's call story. Uh, for whatever reason, Isaiah is just jumping right into the message. He'll let you know about his call and how God has, has tasked him with uh, the mission of taking this hard message to Judah. We'll read about that next week. Right now, Isaiah is just jumping right in, right into the thick of it. And so we are faced with the major themes of Isaiah of judgment and the glimpse of hope right away. And so as we take a look at this passage, pray with me. Jesus, open our hearts to receive your word. Open our spirits to hear, to see, and to act. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I hope you get some time over the, the next week. Maybe you've already read the beginning of Isaiah. Uh, I, if you haven't, I encourage you to uh, open up your Bible maybe this afternoon. It's not long reading, um, but it's, it's kind of hard hitting. Um, you may not like everything you read in there. Uh, that's Isaiah and God's fault, not mine. Um, and, and so I encourage you to read that. Isaiah confronts Judah in these passages with what they have become. And Isaiah talks about how Judah has turned its back on Yahweh. In fact, uh, Isaiah uses some uh, interesting language. He says, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. I would love to know in modern vernacular how Isaiah would phrase that. Um, I can think of some, uh, not any that I would repeat here uh, in front of a congregation of folks, because Isaiah is being a little salty with his language here. It's not great when the prophet starts off by calling people dumber than an ox. All right? It doesn't bode well for the group of people that Isaiah is um, confronting, is talking to. Yahweh doesn't want, uh, like, or accept their sacrifice and offering. It seems that the temple system, the, the, the priests, the Levites, I, I mean, they're going through all of the routines in the right way. Nothing in this passage is saying you're not sacrificing right, you're saying the wrong words in prayer, you're singing the wrong songs. There's none of that. What Yahweh, through Isaiah, is confronting them about is that their, their worship is just words. It's just a religious show and Yahweh is tired of it. They're not living it out. It's not impacting the way they live and act and treat one another. They're going through the motions. But Isaiah's chief complaint here is that Judah has failed to seek justice for the oppressed. Uh, one of the uh, resources that I picked up for going through this book of Isaiah is, uh, is a translation of the Old Testament uh, from a, a scholar named John, John Goldengay. Uh, it's called the First Testament, if you're interested. And, and in his translation, he tries to stick close to the Hebrew words uh, as much as possible and still make it readable in English. And so there's certain words that he doesn't translate in the way we're always used to reading it. 
And so often, you know, I, you know, I've been part of the Church of the Brethren, and I've heard sermons on justice uh, long enough that sometimes I'm tempted to read that word and move right on because I, you know, I've heard the word, and I guess we all assume we know what we mean by that, but I'm not sure that we do. Uh, Golden Gate, in his translation, translates this idea as the exercise of authority. Those with authority are supposed to exercise authority on behalf of those who have no authority. The Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, had a lot to say about how God's people were supposed to treat one another. They had laws limiting retribution, uh, limiting cycles of poverty, uh, directing the, the treatment of foreigners, and so on. This was, this was spelled out in the Torah. And yet they have failed to live it out. They have failed to enact these ways of living in their midst. Judah had failed to live out these practices. And so Judah had become a place filled with corruption, uh, a lack of proper exercise of authority. In chapter 2 of Isaiah then, we see other issues connected connected to injustice. Isaiah continues to call out some of the brokenness that is happening in the nation of Judah and Israel. He calls out rampant materialism and consumerism. Uh, in one passage, he says, their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. We also see Isaiah calling out the way Judah is, is stockpiling weapons. Uh, he says, their land is filled with horses and there is no end to their chariots. It's, it's both a display of wealth, but it's, it's a display of their, their militarism that has become a part of who they are. And, and Judah and Israel have this bad habit of relying on their military might, on, on alliances with other uh, military powers, instead of relying on Yahweh, instead of relying on the God who has rescued them and saved them time and time again. In chapter 3 of Isaiah, Yahweh is actually stripping away their materialism. It says, In that day the Lord will take away the finery of anklets, headbands, and the crescents, pendants, bracelets, scarves, headdresses, armlets, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, signet rings, and nose rings, festal robes, mantles, cloaks, handbags, garments of gauze, linen, turbans, and veils. Instead of perfume, there will be a stench. God's stripping it all away. All of the, the things that they have hoarded, all the things they have uh, insulated themselves with from those in need around them, Yahweh is stripping it away. And so in the first five chapters of Isaiah, he is calling out the ways in which Judah has been unfaithful to Yahweh, their God failing to exercise authority on behalf of those who have no authority, calling out their excessive materialism, their pursuit of wealth at the expense of others, their militarism and reliance on military might. Now let me just say that we ought to be very careful about pointing the finger as followers of Jesus. 
it's easy to read this passage and say, yeah, this is what the problem with America is. And we wouldn't be wrong. A failure to practice authority on behalf of those without authority, rampant consumerism, stockpiling of weapons. But to me, what is most concerning is the impact and the draw that this has had on the church. The impact this has had on people who claim to follow Jesus. And we get swept up in all of this stuff too. Remember a, a pastor years ago uh, listening to him preach and said, you know, whenever there's, you're pointing one finger, there's all these three and, and a thumb pointing back at you. This is not just Judah's problem in the 8th century B.C. This is our problem. This is part of our life. This is part of our society. This is part of some of the things that shape us, even as we claim to follow Jesus. Failing to exercise authority on behalf of others. Here at Spring Creek, we are part of an Anabaptist movement. And the, the Anabaptist movement is uh, no stranger to being ostracized and persecuted. But let's face it, you and I are a long way removed from that. It is part of our tradition. It is part of our history. But it is not part of our present day reality. We don't find ourselves being persecuted in the same way. Now, sometimes we say, well, society's against us, and, and that may be true, but we're not being persecuted and ostracized in the way that our uh, forebears once were. It's not part of our experience today. For the most part, we are people who have access to authority in some way, access to privilege, and yet we have a heritage going back beyond the Anabaptists to a Messiah who is unjustly arrested and executed. In the church, we have a failure to address rampant materialism and consumerism. Again, our faith heritage speaks to this. You know, one peacefully, simply together, we kind of hang on to that simply. Sometimes I'm not sure we know exactly what that means, or, or you know, it sounds nice in a statement but I don't know if we live it out. I know that, you know, I'm drawn to the latest, the greatest, the neatest. I think we also have a failure to address militarism and nationalism within the church. Before you start going, Pastor, now you're getting political. This is Isaiah. Isaiah is getting political. He's addressing the powers. He's addressing the society. And he's calling them out for the way they have failed to follow Yahweh, their God. When so-called Jesus followers become largely indistinguishable from the rest of the prevailing culture, church, we have a problem. Jesus will echo Isaiah's call to exercise authority on behalf of his other in, on behalf of others. In his inaugural address in Luke, Jesus gets up and he opens guess which book? 
Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah's criticism of rampant materialism is echoed in Jesus' words about looking to the flowers of the field and how God has cared for them, how God has cared for the birds. Why do we think that God won't care for us and take care of our needs as well? Isaiah's critique of militarism and and his dream of a day where weapons are turned into gardening tools is expanded by Jesus who calls his followers to lay down the sword, to love their enemies, and to turn the other cheek. So it's Isaiah's words. It's Jesus' words. It's not just something to be left in the 8th century where we hear these echoes in our own time, in our own day, in our own society, in our own lives. If you have ears to hear, listen. These criticisms and societal structural brokenness are not just a problem in Isaiah's day. They are still a problem in Jesus' day. They are still a problem in our day. So Isaiah hits us with the judgment right up front in Isaiah. But as we start to read, we also see glimpses of hope. There's hard words for Judah. These are hard words for us to hear in the church. And yet Isaiah is giving us a glimpse, encouraging us to look beyond that, to to wrestle with those issues and to see a glimpse of hope. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And through this passage, Yahweh is, is purifying his people, purifying helping refine them, chiseling away the the junk that surrounds them, burning off the the dross that's, you know, he's he's going through this, talking about being refined in in a crucible and and having the the, uh, impurities of metal burned off. It's It's an image that will get replayed throughout Isaiah. It's hard language from Yahweh to hear pouring out his wrath against his enemies. We're we're a New Testament church, right? So what about the loving God in Jesus? Well, this is the same God. He loves those who have been ostracized, and God is consistently on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed throughout Scripture. Yahweh is pretty ticked. He's peeved when his chosen people are the ones doing the marginalizing. When they're the ones that have forgotten people. When they've forgotten the story about how they have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. When they've forgotten the stories about how God has delivered them and they are now persecuting others. When they are now enslaving others. When they are now keeping other people 
from living life, from experiencing wholeness and shalom, God's pretty ticked that his people are involved in that. And so we get this image of a purifying fire that will come up again. Isaiah views the political turmoil going on, the exile and the hardship that's facing Judah as a crucible for refining Yahweh's people. So while it's a glimpse of hope, that crucible, the things they have to go through, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's a refining process. And so we see glimpses of good news in the midst of these, this judgment. In chapter 2, Isaiah sees a time when Yahweh's house will will rise up, when when the temple will be central, a a place where justice or authority on behalf of others is practiced. Again, uh, one commentator translates it like this. They'll beat their swords into hoes, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not carry sword against nation. They will no more learn about battle. So throughout the next several chapters, in amidst the ways Isaiah is calling out the injustice, the materialism, the militarism, all of that stuff, there are these glimpses of one day. Isaiah is saying one day things will be different. A branch that will grow, lambs that will graze, But in the meantime, there is some humility that needs to be learned. What I see here in these passages and and kind of in the story uh, of Judah is something about natural consequences. And sometimes uh, with my kids, they mess up. You know, that's hard to imagine. They do something they're not supposed to do, and sometimes as parents we have to kind of artificially insert consequences. But some of the best lessons they learn, I think kids can learn from natural consequences, but unfortunately those can be some of the hardest lessons to learn. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Stop wrestling in the living room. Somebody is going to get hurt. That maybe gets said at our house. And then guess what happens? Somebody gets hurt. Somebody comes up with a nose bleeding or a dent in the, in the wall or some other scrapes and bruises. Right, boys? Natural consequences. It's hard to watch as a parent. So I imagine it grieves God's heart. Seeing his people turn away. Seeing them fail to to live up to to the, the calling they had. But Yahweh allows those things to happen. As I read, I think this is a little bit of what is happening to Judah. 
their lack of care for others, their emphasis on accumulating wealth, stockpiling weapons, their pride. There are some natural consequences that seem to come from that, as empires throughout history have tended to demonstrate that when you become so engrossed in your own preservation, in, in your materialism, in, in all of that stuff, there's natural consequences that happen. So it might be easy for us in these passages, especially you know, as a New Testament church, and we like, like to talk about a God who is loving It might be hard for us to read these passages. We may ask, is Yahweh a tyrant for punishing the people? And I could see see, uh, that that might happen, that you might think that. You might think that God is vindictive when you read these words. But I wonder what would happen if Yahweh wasn't involved in guiding the discipline or the purifying process. A directed, intense crucible can end up purifying and forging something new. But a fire just out of control, an inferno, can just leave everything devastated. Without Yahweh's hand in the middle of these ancient Near Eastern upheavals, perhaps even the remnant, the branch that Isaiah dreams of, hopes for, looks for, might get wiped away. So I wonder how is God refining, purifying God's people today? When groups or people cry out for justice, do we listen? Do we even ask questions about our assumptions or do we just dismiss them as unhappy folks? Maybe we don't have to figure it all out. You know, for myself, I find, my place, uh, find myself at a place where I need to just listen when folks feel wronged, to listen to their experience of life, and I don't necessarily need to know all the answers. I wonder, do we seek security in possessions, in materialism and consumerism? And let me just ask a question. I don't know what it means to participate in an economic and commercial system that's kind of based on those things. It's kind of always a a, a tricky situation. How do we address issues of violence and warfare in our world? But also closer to home, how do we address conflict between ourselves, between neighbors, How do we work at those issues? I believe Yahweh continues to move through events to refine and shape Yahweh's people. And I believe uh, events reveal things about our society. I believe events that happen around us reveal things about the church, reveal things in our own lives, in individual hearts. But I also have to to confess that I'm not a prophet like Isaiah. And so we should be careful to to say exactly how God is directing world events. Maybe that's something to look at in hindsight. But in the meantime, we can ask questions about our lives, our actions, and about our faithfulness to the way of Jesus, whom Isaiah is giving us 
a glimmer, a, a, a dream, hoping, looking forward to the time of Jesus? These are hard questions. I don't know that I have a lot of answers to suggest. These are big issues, but it starts with folks committing to follow Jesus. Committing to follow the way of Jesus. And this is what we're called to. Would you receive the benediction? May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in peace.